Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally, voidware prohibited, must be 18 or older to enter, no purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and today my guest is Shelly Bond, the Vice President and Sales Development for Ascom in Canada. Shelly talks with me about how technology can improve areas within the clinical process, like, for example, using a sensor within a hospital bed to let nurses know when a patient has gotten up and may need help from the care team. Shelly shared some super interesting insights from recent projects, and I can't wait for you to hear about it. All right, let's get started. Shelly, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with me today. I'm excited to get to know you and more about your place in the healthcare IT ecosystem. If you wouldn't mind, could you please take a moment to introduce yourself and where you work and what you do? Certainly. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here today. This is actually quite exciting for me. I've been involved in various healthcare boards, even done a TV interview and different articles, but I've never done a podcast before. So uh, I'm officially thinking that I'm in the ranks of uh, the famous now. I love it. I love actually being the place where people get to have their first podcast too. It just makes me so happy. So I'm, I'm glad that I get to be here first. <laughs> So thank you. Uh, so my name is Shelley Bond. I work for ASCOM in Canada. It's ASCOM Americas. I am in Canada. I'll specify that because a couple of the references I might make might be slightly different than the model in the U.S. just because we are a public funded healthcare model. And uh, as far as my background, I have 25 years experience in healthcare IT. 
So I really like that your podcast is called Hit Like a Girl because I first had to think, do I actually hit like a girl? And I don't hit period, but I love that it's healthcare IT. So yes, I definitely hit like a girl now. <laughs> so I'm it. very happy to be here. I also uh, like that we've sort of shifted the language because I think that the idea of hit, hitting like a girl has potentially come off as a little bit of an insult or condescending. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's a super meant to be empowering. <laughs> it is very empowering. And I've even seen people that present on your podcast and heard them. And it is very empowering, actually. As far as my background, like I said, 25 years in healthcare IT, although that does make me nervous to point out age factors when we do that, but I'm a young 25 years in healthcare IT, obviously. And uh, I did grow up in Cambridge, Ontario. And I'm only spelling that out because a big part of my background has been doing volunteer work over the years in heritage preservation, riverbank development. So as much as I went to, to college, Mohawk College for marketing, University of Waterloo Economics, and a postgraduate in marketing management, other things that I've done that has really shaped me has been volunteer work, doing volunteer work with statutory committees of city council, and really understanding how different level of different people of different backgrounds come into play. And really, how do you meet the objectives of the people that you're there with? But more importantly, how do you service the community? And I think that's a big part of healthcare. It's how do we service patients and how do we service that community? And when you take those things into consideration, you actually come to a place where you actually go, I think I'm that altruistic that it is important to me to deliver on a role and to do, have a career where I'm with somebody like ASCOM that actually empower clinicians to help save patient lives. Well, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Perfect. We love questions. <laughs> okay, good. Well, okay. So one, I guess I'd like to get a little bit more clarity on how ASCOM is supporting physicians that I want to know. And then I also want to know, like, what have been some of your favorite volunteer projects? Yeah. So uh, as far as uh, what ASCOM is doing to help clinicians, I, I think what you really have to do is kind of look back at the industry and realize that we've effectively had 25 years in an industry that has very much been siloed historically. So you would have a hospital information system, a clinical information system, and you would have these standalone communication systems. But what didn't happen was this aspect of communication and really being able to share data. And what does that look like if we share data? And what ASCOM has done, and, and really in the last five years, put this metamorphosis into instead of just looking at um, you know our nurse call, which many people know us as nurse call. And uh, I'll liken this to a Canadian for the Canadian audience, Canadian tire, there's been numerous ads out over the years saying we're more than just tires. Well ASCOM is more than just nurse call. We have an integrated healthcare platform. And what that means is we connect the systems in a hospital, and in essence, develop a technology, an ecosystem around the patient to communicate about the patient. And when we do that, we're sharing actual information. And that actionable information and that data and those insights allow us to have knowledge. And when we empower clinicians with knowledge, we're able to help them meet objectives of the hospital. But the bigger impact is to the quadruple aim. So if you'd like me to explain that, I can uh, go a little further into I, that. No, I would love it. I don't know that everybody knows what the quadruple aim is. And people hear triple aim, but I like the quadruple aim. And 
please feel free. <laughs> okay. So that's great. Thank you. So when we look at the quadruple aim, what we're really talking about is this shift in healthcare. And it doesn't matter if you're Canadian or if you're American or any of our global businesses. It's the same thing. At the end of the day, we have patients. And really what we want to do is we want to deliver on a model that improves the patient satisfaction but also the clinical experience. And how do we go about doing that? Well, we look at all the objectives and then we come together and look at this whole technology and we go beyond the technology and look at the workflow. So the quadruple aim improves the patient and caregiver experience. We improve the health of the population. When we start to look at the health of the population, we're not just talking about delivering care, but we're working on prevention and how we deliver that health care. That has changed. It isn't always within the four walls. And it's the communication within those organizations. The other thing that we want to do is lower costs is the third thing. And as much as we look at lowering costs, I would say in Canada and even the U.S. for that matter, it isn't just about lowering costs. How do we lower the costs? We improve operational efficiency. So how do we do more with less? And then the last factor in that is really, I'd summarize looking at the work life of the providers. What is the day-to-day frontline person doing and how are they delivering their job? And what are they trying to accomplish? So as much as we look at technology, the technology is a mute point if it doesn't meet the needs of the clinicians. We can create the best technology that a nurse will never ever use or carry or want. And they simply won't use it. It doesn't meet their work meet the needs of their workflow. Thank you for going into that. Well, I think that there's similarities in at least what our intention for the U.S. is, where we say that that's what we want, is to prevent people from going, prevent people from getting sick in the first place. That's the way to reduce costs. However, with an incentive program that incentivizes services instead of, you know, keeping people healthy, it's hard to do. (laughs) And you know what, that is very true, even in Canada, and not to go too far off topic, but I would say this, we have a model that pays clinicians when they see staff, when they see a patient. So if my family doctor doesn't get paid unless I come in for a visit, there is no motivating reason to fill a prescription. So more and more, we're looking at these funding models and these payment models and putting the emphasis on prevention. Well, and it sounds like what you're... Working on two is some interoperability, right? Making sure all of these different systems are able to talk to each other and share information and get what they need at the right time. Am I on? Am I hitting the mark there? You're you're doing a perfect pivot (laughs) to where (laughs) I wanted to go to. So absolutely. When I said, you know, in the past 25 years, we've seen this growth away from this aspect of these siloed healthcare systems. And what ASCOM has been great at doing is having an integrated healthcare platform and connecting the whole ecosystem around the patient. So it isn't even just the fact that there's a patient in a bed. There's a whole communication of information that comes from the bed or comes from the medical devices, whether we're taking our Digistat and doing medical device integration or we're connecting into the electronic health record or EMR terminology that is more often used in the U.S. All this information can be brought in so that when the clinician, as in the case of many of our hospitals, have an ASCOM device in their hand, they're able to now get information associated with their patients. And the way they do that is 
we are assigning the nurse to the appropriate patient. And based on those assignments, they will receive alerts and alarms that are relevant to them and they'll receive the right information. So when hospitals look at the clinical workflow and how do we improve patient satisfaction and staff satisfaction in in delivering care, we're really talking about integrating the healthcare system and providing that information. Now, I will tell you there's been a greater pivot now that we've got uh, integrated health models, we have an electronic health record. Now we've moved to a new evolution where we're saying, now how do we get people to communicate within our teams? Then we're looking at clinical communication and collaboration. So how do we share that information? And how do we really know what's happening with the patient before it even happens? So that was going to be my question because something <laughs> came across my something came across my feed recently talking about like the design of a system where we're looking at a patient and it starts at their encounter date. And if we're really going to be patient-centered, they have a whole life, they have a whole timeline that didn't just start at their encounter date. Is that something that you guys address or like when you're looking at patients in particular, is it all the stuff that happened before and some sort of connection on their the story or that story arc of an individual? It's interesting that you call it a story because uh, it really is a story and it's a journey to recovery. And what you have with uh, the hospitals and what ASCOM does is we tie into these systems. So whether it's a natural seven message, health language seven integration, or whether we're taking information from the nurse call system or the ECG monitors. And by the way, I'll just circle back to say, I'll give an example as Humber River Hospital is one of our, our clients in Toronto. And they have a very patient-centric model. And what they did is they thought of the patient almost like a hub and spoke. And the patient's at the center of that communication and what happens around that patient. And that journey or that story includes any type of monitoring that happens. So whether it's an ECG, so the electrocardiogram, which also includes being able to get the waveform, or code events, a code pink in regards to baby, a code blue which obviously is critical, code white for staff assistance. So um, we frequently refer to it as code whites for staff to rest, being able to get those staff alerts, being able to get early warning signs. We're actually able to send a sepsis alert if, when the patient is becoming sepsis. And as you know, typically 50% of people in hospitals die because of sepsis alerts. So they looked at this whole ecosystem and then Humber actually, and I'll just divert a little further into the Humber story. They went into looking at what exactly happens with fetal monitoring. And my niece actually has three little ones now. And she did have um, an incident where the baby had to be in hospital and and kept in the incubator longer than required because the baby was sick. But I was talking to her about what Humber does with fetal monitoring, and it's rather unique. There is no other hospital that I'm aware of doing this of its kind in North America or worldwide for that matter. And what Humber did is they leveraged their partnership with ASCOM. And they came to the table and said, you know, we want to do something around fetal monitoring. And this is sort of what our vision is. And we have the ASCOM platform. So we have Unite. You have the ability to do medical device integration and to be able to take that information and through our Unite platform and send the right information out to the right person on the right device. 
And with that comes escalations. And through that process, we tied into the uh, GE system that they have there. So let's see if I can pronounce it properly, the cardiotechography system. And we take that information and it comes into Unite. We use our assignment. We push that information out. But what's really exciting about this story is as much as we give them actionable data, we have our analyzed system that does the reporting. Now they have these data sets. And with that data comes knowledge. Now they have information that they can grow on and monitor and start to be able to make inform- make decisions in those critical situations. Well, if you're really able to get that right information to an individual's device, I can imagine that's a game changer. It is. And I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the, the fetal monitoring, if I might. Please, it's, yeah. It's been a real education curve, even for me. And I shouldn't say that I'm surprised by that, but it's been an education curve in that you really don't know the impact of technology you talk to a clinician or till you talk to a patient or a caregiver or till you talk to the family that's had a patient in the hospital. And uh, I think I have some funny anecdotes, but uh, I'll save them in case we have time. No, we have time. Let's hear it. I would love to hear more. (laughs) I'll give you an example of monitoring technology. And it actually does have to do with Humber Humber River Hospital and uh, Kevin uh, Fernandez. uh, So I'll do a little name drop there and mention Kevin Fernandez, the chief technology officer. And certainly Peter Bach is the CIO over at... uh, Humber River Hospital and you know we were talking about technology and they said you know people don't necessarily understand when they come in to see their family or if they're in the bed themselves and understand necessarily what's happening around them. You might have a nurse for instance have a a device a mobile device and in in their case it is the ASCOM mobile device. So what's interesting about that is uh, when my mother was in the hospital at one point she would say the nurses are always playing on their phones. And I, I said, well, actually, mom, they're not playing on their phones. They're getting information about you on the phone. And she said, where are they getting the information from? I said, all over the hospital. It's all over the hospital. And she said, well, how come the nurse always knows when I get out of the bed? And it's hard to explain technology to somebody. And, and she was getting early signs of dementia. So it was hard for her to understand technology. And I put it in the easiest format possible. I said, well, mom... The beds at Humber River Hospital tell on you. They're telling on you. Every time you get out of that bed, that bed tells on you. And then not only does it tells on tell on you, it then sends an alert over to the nurse that's carrying an ASCOM device. And that device tells them you got out of the bed. And she said, so she knows, she always seems to know when I get out of the bed. And I said, absolutely. She will know every time when you get out of that bed. And of course, uh, being the mother that I have, she said, of course, well, then can you turn it off? And I said, no, I'm not turning it off. <laughs> I'm not turning off the bed alarm. <laughs> but there is a good way to explain uh, technology to people. That's but, great. I love that. That's a really good explanation. And essentially, is that like, it's a smart bed that maybe yes. it, So anytime yeah. a weight, there's a weight change on the bed, it's giving them an alert. I didn't know that that existed. Exactly. And we even at Humber tie, I love this part too, we tie into the real-time locating system. So 
they have uh, at Humber our Hoaskam Healthcare platform. So they have the the integration through Unite our Digistat medical device integration. They have the assignments, the analyze. So they have this this whole application of ASCOM. And one of the things we can do is with their LPAS RTLS, when a nurse goes into the patient's room, the dome light lights up outside. So at a glance, you know there's a caregiver in that room. So it helps them with workflow. It also helps them know where the staff is. So by being able to integrate these systems together on one platform, there's a full facilitation of communication and awareness that now happens at a glance. Well, that's smart. That's really smart because then you get to really like change how you move within the environment, right? And how you react and respond just even in the hallways. Maybe answer questions before they're even asked. Oh, absolutely. And the things that I find fascinating about Humber is they decided on this patient-centric model, and they were the first digital hospital in Canada. And what they decided to do was they looked at what was going on and how they were meeting the needs of clinicians. And they said, you know, we want to meet the needs of clinicians, but we don't want to give them technology for the sake of giving them technology. You can pass a phone or a device to somebody, but that doesn't mean that it will improve care. So what they did is they decided to develop this technology ecosystem around the patient using technology, but it wouldn't be for just the sake of technology. The goal would be to augment clinical workflows and how they'll do that and how they'll improve care. So again, we tie back to the quadruple aim, meeting the needs of the quadruple aim and affecting the way that they deliver healthcare to not only their patients in the hospital, but also to the community. Right. I mean, I love the idea because we none of us should be a proponent of technology just for the sake of having technology or providing a solution to maybe a problem that doesn't exist, like isn't particularly helpful either. It sounds like what you guys have implemented and specifically at that hospital just sounds like pretty, pretty powerful. Do you guys have a case study that people could read? Yeah, and certainly, uh, hopefully, Humber will be publishing things. We do have things on our ASCOM website, so ASCOM.com, and as well, my LinkedIn profile under Shelley Bond, I I push out information. But uh, one of the projects that, again, I'll circle back to the fetal monitoring for a moment, just to explain the context of this, they created this program to actually be able to monitor women during the labor process. So what happens during that process? Nobody else in the world is doing this that we're aware of. And one of those examples of what that looks like is they can get a critical alarm for fetal heart rate low, and that alarm has different escalations. So it's a secondary alarm notification, and it does go on to the primary nurse, the secondary nurse, and et cetera, till that alarm is cleared or addressed. But they also have low and medium high priorities. So regardless of whether we're talking about the fetal monitoring or sepsis alert, what we're seeing and where ASCOM is is really moving towards is this this whole aspect of early warning signs and early warning scoring. So how do we help facilities such as Humber or other hospitals throughout the world really get to that intervention stage of doing business with them? And I shouldn't use the term doing business because it's patient care, but it really is how do we help them? And the way we do that is we we try to move hospitals beyond the conversation of feature and function. 
and really get them to understand the workflow. And we bring our clinical teams in, we work with an ROI methodology, and we see what we can do to help hospitals out. Because it's all well and good to do one integration, but if you look at all your downstream work, it's how do you integrate the, the whole facility and how you tie the whole facility together. I love that. So can we shift gears and talk about you for a minute? Sure. I would like to know, did you Although know... I think that made me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. I promise. It's not that bad. <laughs> Did you know what you wanted to do when you were 10? Like, what do you think 10-year-old Shelly would think of what you do now for a living? Oh, my. 10-year-old uh, Shelly was very introverted. So I don't think she would have thought in those terms and certainly not in the terms of where I am in my career today. I think I was always interested in learning. And I also tend to see things in, I don't, this may not sound the right way, but in patterns. So you can learn outside of industry. So to me, there's there's certain patterns. And I'm somebody that can look at the detail, but the big picture as well. Mm -hmm. So how does that fit in? So a lot of time when I'm speaking to somebody, they might ask me a question and I'll say, so the simple answer to your question is this. However, the impact of your question I see is this. Oh, I like that. So uh, I view things differently. And I, I was interested in, to be honest, a couple of things. I'm a photographer. I was interested in photography. I guess I can admit to when I was much younger, I was listening to country music a lot and thought, oh, I want to be a DJ, do something with country music. And I had a failed attempt at learning the banjo. That will haunt me now that I've said that. Yeah. <laughs> I just admitted that one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was very much interested in healthcare. But truth be told, I used to pass out at the sight of blood. So okay, I, that's fair. Definitely knew I wasn't going to be a nurse or a doctor. And then from the business side, I got into doing a consulting role with St. Joe's Lifeline Program in Hamilton and became very fascinated and realized I can actually have a career in healthcare and enable clinicians to do things that I definitely won't be able to do. Well, so how old were you when that shift happened? When you're, you know, I can't be a professional photographer. Maybe it's not life of the yeah. is not going to be for me. Yeah, I, I was probably 16, 17, and then in 18. And then when I did my postgraduate, I was looking at doing an MBA program. And then I thought, you know, at that time, there were these postgrad programs that were more hands-on that I could do. And I was very good at research analysis. So I went, took the research analysis and business development into the healthcare practice. And I actually yeah. took a nonprofit program and did make it into a profit program. But it wasn't for the sake of money. It was for the sake that I could step back and look at how can we improve care. Uh -huh. And I looked communication into that sector, even back at that time period, and facilitated communication with caregivers. And that's how I drove the program, which actually drove the business for the hospital. Wow. It was communication. Wow. You said something earlier that just has, is like rolling in my head right now about being able to look at the details and also the big picture. And yes. I had a conversation with somebody over the summer, another hit like a girl guest, and she was telling me, we were on a hike, and she was telling me about cicadas because it was like cicada season. Are you familiar with the cicada no. bug? Okay. Well, I learned through her that cicadas have eight eyeballs. And basically, four of the eyeballs are dedicated to looking at things in a macro way, like up close. And then the other four are dedicated, no, 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 micro, macro, whichever, up close. Mm -hmm. And then also looking at like all of the surroundings. And I just thought like we were just talking about how 
I mean, they're kind of gross looking insects. (laughs) (laughs) However, that what they have as far as like a characteristic is super useful. And it's like really neat to be able to think of like being able to do both and the importance of looking at things, you know, up close and also how do they fit into the big picture. And it feels like being able to switch Mm -hmm. back and forth in between the two is something that you do naturally and is like part of your day-to-day work. It's interesting to me that you say that because at ASCOM, we do have women in leadership roles. Clearly, we have women in leadership roles. And uh, Kelly Feist is the managing director. And obviously, Janine Pouliard is our uh, CEO. And uh, what I found in working with these women is uh, I came to a strange place in my career in in this role with ASCOM. It's like, oh my, I actually get to be in a leadership role. I don't feel threatened in any way, shape, or form. I feel inspired, motivated, and challenged. And these women foster this environment. And it's not to say that men would not foster this environment in in the same positions. I just came to realize that you know, I've worked in healthcare, but it wasn't until this role and working even with Kelly that uh, when I listened to her talk, she has that ability to look at the details, but also to intuitively look at the big picture. And I think that's the real difference of where ASCOM is going in the future, that we have this pivot to software and clinical workflows and really meeting the needs of healthcare clinicians. And it's, a, it's been a tremendous impact. I, I won't break down into a, a stirring rendition of I Got a Girl Crush, but I have to admit, I'm very impressed with the leadership of the House Cup, and I can see you laughing there. <laughs> no, that's amazing. No I, no, I love that. And I wonder if, the, if you think that that is the, the, maybe one of the finer details that has made a bit of a difference for you, or is it something else just in the way that they approach leadership in general that allows you to feel so inspired and challenged and motivated in that environment? I think in this case, I think it's the expertise that they bring to the table and the approach, the approach of learning, understanding, using knowledge to empower people. And whether we do it in our product or with our own staff, that really has been the focus. So in the same way that a hospital is patient-centric focus, we've moved our direction and pivoted more heavily into being client-centric focus. So whether that's empowering our partners that help deliver on our nurse call solutions or helping out the hospital or the clinicians. So even though you we look at people and we call them clients, to me, everybody's a client. Our marketing department to me is a client. I'm on a call with you right now and you're a client to me. So it's having that customer focus. I, that was a key lesson for me in, of, in business of really realizing that not only are they outward facing clients, but everybody that you work in the HR department, the bookkeeping, you know, like the C-suite, they're all clients that you should be and should be treated as such. So I think that's a really good lesson. My next question is related to this, which is if you, I mean, there's a couple ways to frame it, but I think what advice would you give to empower somebody who's been at the beginning of their career? Like, what have you learned along the way that could support somebody who's trying to figure out what their path is going to be? I think there's a bit of 
humility in admitting you don't know what you don't know. One of the expressions uh, I tend to use, and I don't want it to necessarily have a religious connotation, but is grow of grace. Just grow of grace. And from that, everything else will follow. You want to, to learn. You want to gain insight. But you also want to be humble enough to think you don't know everything and you're open to learning. And whether we're talking about a role in your career or around those around you, being mindful, being present, listening to what other people have to say. And then, you know, I tend to say to people, um, well, I've conditioned myself to lean in. So I always say to people, lean in when I'm talking to my team. Because, you know, I talk to partners like, well, we can't do this and we can't do that. And it's like, oh, no, we'll stop with the we can't. We've just got to stop with the we can't. <laughs> just lose the we can't. Let's talk about what we can do. Let's break it down. Let's make it manageable. And you can overcome those fears. You can overcome those obstacles. You've just got to learn and train yourself to lean in. And if you have the mindset that you want to do your best and you start to train yourself to do your best, you'll find yourself doing your best every day. Yeah, I agree with that. My business partner, Robin, she has a saying that she brings to the table, to our conversations often, where she's like, how can we get to yes? It's like, even if you feel like you're at a no right now, kind of like embodying that we can't is just like, no, what step, how can we get to yes? Or how can we have our clients get to yes? So that it's becoming breaking it down into steps that is like, maybe no isn't even an option. It's just like, what do we need to do in order to make this happen? As if it's a little bit of a given. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I find in my role, I move in and out of the role of sales leadership to mediator, to facilitator, to different roles. And, you know, depending who's at the table, you can imagine when you're meeting with so many stakeholders from finance, nursing, IT, all the various backgrounds, you've got to be able to sit in the room and listen to the different points of view and find out what their common objectives are and what is it they're trying to accomplish. And maybe there's something they can't do today completely, but there's steps they can do to move them in the right direction. Oh, for sure. And I think to your point also around remaining humble, it's like, in healthcare, there's no way, I don't care how many years you've studied, like there's no way to know it all. Like we have to learn from each other. Yeah, I know when I started out in healthcare and I started out with MediSolution and they had a basic ADT solution that was out of Quebec. And I started out and I thought, okay, it's going to take me a good two years to learn this. Five years in, it's like, oh my God, I have so much more to learn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then it's just been ongoing. And I've volunteered for boards. I think that's the other advice I give to people. Volunteer within your industry and, you know, learn. Go on a healthcare board or if you're in healthcare IT, go learn about IHE, integrating healthcare enterprises, The other thing I did that I found helpful is if I had a gap in my knowledge, I I learned that my comfort zone is I need to know a little bit about it so I can be comfortable with it. So when I didn't understand these complex integrations that can be taking six months to three years or more, what should I do? So I went to the University of Toronto and did their certificate program in project management. So now when I'm sitting across the table from somebody, I realize, okay, They have to prepare their stakeholders. They need to do change management. They need to look at the clinical design workflow. They need to do phased in implementations. Oh, and by the way, people do want time off of Christmas. Don't 
Of course. Don't to be doing it then. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be doing that. But uh, it's really identifying, and I won't say it's your weaknesses, but identifying your opportunities. What are your opportunities to learn and grow? And it's really at this point in my career and in this role with ASCOM that I feel inspired that I can do that much more. That's so great. I, you know, hitting on your volunteer work, and I feel like there's so much opportunity in volunteering because you really get an opportunity, like a chance to either get to know an organization or whatever their mission is, or connect with people that have like-minded, you know, just are like-minded in general. And there is, when I was in San Francisco, there was a program that was dedicated to, it's called Hands-On, Hands-On Bay Area. I think they have Hands-On San Diego and Hands-On. But essentially, it was like, hey, if you only have one day to participate in volunteering in something, then they would organize all of these different areas, organizations that would need help. And so I got to like go pick giraffe food for an afternoon at the <laughs> San Francisco Zoo or like do weeding at the Conservatory of Flowers in exchange for like just spending a day in the park. And I remember having all these really habitat for humanity, that sort of thing, like building a house and just getting the opportunity to tap in and see different areas of the region that I otherwise wouldn't have a chance to see that it, it, it gives so much back. Like you are yes. volunteering your time, but it does give so much back. So what are some of your favorite volunteer oh my. projects or things that you worked on? I had an interest in heritage preservation. So I, I volunteered with statutory committees of city council and with the city of Cambridge. Now, as much as I said I volunteered, I had to be elected. It, it sounds counterintuitive that I volunteered, but you first had to elect me to it or or I couldn't do the volunteer work. But I got on that. And the reason I did that was I was afraid of public speaking, petrified, absolutely petrified of public speaking. So this is the thing where I learned to throw myself into the deep end of the pool, which may not be the best expression to use, but I learned to lean in. So I took up doing volunteer work with uh, committees with city council, because you would have to go to board meetings and you would have to speak and you would have to listen and you would have to learn. So certainly that was a fantastic experience. I also took a year out of business and although this wasn't volunteer, there certainly was volunteer work involved. I was involved with Heritage Canada Main Street program, so uh, the Main Street program, which is a Pierre Burton program, teaching communities about the organization and marketing design and economic development. And it was actually through this type of volunteer work and working with these committees that I learned to break down things and understand that there's different policies or processes that actually can be changed, that once changed, actually improve things for people. Because people think that more often than not, you know, we're going to buy this or do this and we're going to do these things. And it isn't until you step back and say, well, what are our guiding principles? What is it that we're mandated to do? And if we look at what we're mandated to do, if we change the wording of that, it changes the optics. It changes our view. So once it changes our, our view, it has a tremendous impact. So I'll give you a real easy example of this one. I was re working with uh, the regional municipality of Waterloo on um, Heritage Waterloo. And they used to have 
this aspect of where something came before city council a building to be torn down. So when we were going through their official policy and planning act, I said, well, wait a minute, we keep getting at this after the building's about to be torn down and we got to try to save it. So I said, let's change the policy that now from whenever somebody comes forward to tear down a heritage building to build a new building, it comes to the heritage committee first. Then we're not fighting it after the fact. And find it upstream. That's like, and build it into the program. That's smart. (laughs) So that's the type of experience and things that I would say to people, you know, learn to ask questions. More often than not, when I'm speaking to healthcare, to hospitals or, or to partners, I'm asking them questions. And even though the question may not seem relevant to what we're working at the time, it helps me build a picture to what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And if I ask those questions, I get more insight. And whether you're asking questions or, you know, I referenced an ROI methodology, you know, you have this methodology. What does this methodology tell you? What can this help you with? And I think that's that's one of the most exciting part of my career is this ability to meet with and talk to people to help have an impact on care. Well, that's what it sounds like. And it sounds like in a lot of different ways, you've made a real difference. I hope so. <laughs> I'm a little bit shy about saying work part, but... <laughs> no, it's good. I, that's, that's amazing. Well, Shelly, I've really enjoyed our time together. If people want to follow you or connect with you or get in touch with ASCOM, like what would be the best way for them to do so? Oh, I dare say now these days we're all easy to find, but uh, certainly on uh, LinkedIn under Shelly Bond, S-H-E-L-L-Y Bond, B as in Bob, O-N-D. You can find me there. You can find me through ASCOM Americas, certainly on our webpage. I do uh, tweet out information. I also post information, so it's not that difficult, but yes, at Shelly.Bond at ASCOM.com. Perfect. I will include all of that in the show notes. Thank you for thank you for your time today. Thank you. And thank you for the the questions that you asked. They were very thought provoking. I could see where we could easily spend another couple hours talking about things. That's the thing. I'm like, you want to be here all day? Because I'll just keep asking. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.